Please hear this reading from Isaiah. This is what Isaiah ben Amoz saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of Yahweh's temple will be established as the most important mountain and raised above all other hills. All nations will stream toward it. Many people will come and say, Come, let us climb Yahweh's mountain to the temple of the God of Jacob, that we may be instructed in God's ways and walk in God's paths. Instruction will be given from Zion and the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem. God will judge between the nations and render decisions for many countries. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. One nation will not raise the sword against another, and never again will they train for war. O house of Leah and Rachel and Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of Yahweh. This is one of our sacred texts. Would you join me as we pray? O oh God, who sings life into the world, we have gathered here in a week when death is much on our minds. We have family members, friends, members of our community who are touched by the holiday our nation will observe tomorrow in very personal ways. In memorializing those who have died serving in our nation's military, we grieve their deaths. We grieve the wars that called for their deaths. We grieve war itself. O oh God, your song is life, death, and life again. How can we sing your song? O oh, singer of life, there are other reasons death is much on our minds. We never thought we would live in a day when we would carry so much reasonable fear with us into our places of worship. We lament the death and pain caused by those who have desecrated holy spaces and taken the lives of innocent worshipers around the world. But in this week, O oh divine singer, we have watched as our state has acted out of that fear in supporting legislation, making it easier and easier for lives to be lost to gun violence in houses of worship. And not just any lives, but disproportionately the lives of those who do not look or act like us. Oh God, your song is life, death, and life again. How can we sing your song? In this difficult week, O oh divine song, we have seen a number of states moving legislation in the hope of overturning Roe versus Wade. And we have glimpsed some of the injustices and horrors that might result from such movement, as well as the polarization and tribalism that keep us from talking about it like loving and respectful human beings. 
More than most, we recognize the difficulty and nuance of this conversation. And more than most, we uphold the divine mystery in the creation of new life. But we also stand for vulnerable women sentenced to motherhood against their will. Move us by your spirit to do the sacred justice work that makes abortion unnecessary. And may we learn to see one another on both sides of the aisle with your indiscriminately gracious eyes. Oh God, your song is life, death, and life again. How can we sing your song? Life, death, and life again. This is the rhythm of the song your spirit sings. Life, death, and life again. This is the song of Easter. O giver of life, teach us to sing your song of joy. O keeper of death, teach us the haunting melody of holy lament. O restorer of life again, surprise us with the song of hope. Teach us to move to its irrational, illogical beat. Teach us the melody of your love, that we might join the chorus of all creation, singing life, singing death, singing light and life again. Amen.
Please hear this reading from Revelation. Then one of the seven angels that held the seven bowls of the seven last plagues approached me and said, Come and let me show you the betrothal of the Lamb. The angel then carried me away in the spirit to the top of a very high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down from heaven from God. I saw no temple in the city, for God Almighty and the Lamb were themselves the temple. There was no sun or moon. God's glory is its light, and the Lamb was its lamp. The nation will walk by the city's light, and the rulers of the earth will bring forth their treasures. The city's gates will never be shut by day. There will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought in, into it. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does loathful things and tells lies. Only those whose names are written in the book of, book of the Lamb will enter. The angel then showed me the river of life giving water, clear as crystal, which issues from the throne of God and of the Lamb, and flowing down the middle of the streets. On either side of the river grew the trees of life and produced the fruit twelve times a year once each month. Their leaves served as medicine to heal the nations. There was no longer there will no longer be any curse. The throne of the Almighty and the Lamb will be there, and God's subjects will serve faithfully. They will see the Most High face to face and bring God's name on their forehead. Night will be no more. They will need no light for, from lamps or the sun, for our God will give them light, and they will reign forever. This is one of our sacred texts. Dear soldier, tomorrow is Memorial Day. I'm a pastor, so I feel like it's my responsibility to talk about it, to name my uncomfortable relationship with Memorial Day, with the United States for that matter, but I really don't feel like I can do that without writing something like this, something that addresses you directly. Anything I could say just seems too disrespectful, I don't know, too, too dehumanizing without talking to you directly, without remembering that you were a person who got letters and had feelings about those letters. I want to remember first and foremost that you were a human, a beloved child of God. So I'm writing these thoughts directly to you, fallen soldier. I used to have a much easier time with Memorial Day. But, you know, now things feel pretty complicated. 
Honestly, I've made a habit of avoiding talking about it, of pretty much ignoring it, but that's, that's not fair to you or me, is it? I mean, you, you died. You gave your life in the service of this thing that I benefit from every day of my life. You deserve my respect, the dignity of my remembrance at the very least. So here you go. I want to be honest. I consider myself to be first and foremost a citizen of the kingdom of God. A follower of Jesus who was love made flesh. I consider it my primary vocation to steep myself so strongly in the spirit of Jesus that I become like him. But I find that this often comes into conflict with my loyalty to the United States. I worship a God who loves the world so deeply that God shows death rather than choosing to commit violence against God's beloved children. So what am I to do when my culture asks me to take a day to remember, to honor, to celebrate even those who died, continuing the cycle of violence against other children of God who happened to be born in a different country, who happened to be brought up in a political ideology adversarial to ours in a total accident of birth? A decade ago, this was a lot simpler for me. The church I came from, it had no reservations about raising the American flag on the chancel right up there on the same level with the cross. And every Veterans Day, Memorial Day, and Fourth of July, we unabashedly stood for a pledge to the Christian flag and a pledge to the American flag. And then a pledge to the Bible for some reason? I guess someone felt compelled to put that in there. Our pastor, a Vietnam vet himself, would ask for the families of fallen soldiers to stand and be recognized. And then our music minister would lead us in these familiar songs, the anthems for each branch of the armed forces. Off we go into the wild blue yonder. And then, anchors away, my boys, anchors away. We knew them all. We were a Navy town, so we knew them pretty well. All except the Coast Guard song, of course. For some reason, the lyrics and melody to that one managed to catch us by surprise pretty much every year. You know, I even heard a pastor once say, about you, they gave their life for our freedom. Just like Jesus gave his life for our freedom. And soldier, what am I supposed to do with a theology like that? Funny story. You remember the 80s Lee Greenwood song, Proud to be an American? Well, first of all, I may or may not have sung that as a church solo. Um, But there are these lyrics that I remember well. It went, I won't forget the men who died and gave that right to me. You remember. Setting aside the fact that women also died, which is a whole other thing. You know, I legitimately used to think that the words went, I won't forget the man who died and gave that right to me. Like man, like Jesus man. And I know now it sounds dumb, but those two things were so conflated in my head that my brain did not bother distinguishing them. So that's where I came from. Church, state, the distinction didn't really matter all that much. But things got complicated. Things got uncomfortable when I went off on my own and actually started reading the Jesus story for myself. Something that, for whatever reason, it had never occurred to me to do. And what I found, soldier, 
really took the edge off my certainty. Put up again thy sword into his place, I read Jesus saying, for all they that take the sword shall perish by the sword. What would you do with that? And the deeper I got, the more I realized I was reading a story about a man so totally open to love, so totally committed to loving all of God's children on every side of every conflict, that he'd rather die at their hands than return their violence with violence, than repay evil with evil. Abba, forgive them, he cried, for they know not what they do. He said this about his executioners while they were executing him. And I know, I know, it's, it's impractical, right? You can't be a doormat, you might say. Otherwise, evil wins and no one stands up to fight them. And you'd be right, but I don't think anybody could accuse Jesus of being a doormat. Because there's the resurrection part. There's this idea that grace can actually break the wheel of violence and give way to new life. Walter Wink once wrote that killing Jesus was like trying to destroy a dandelion seed head by blowing on it. Jesus' resistance was powerful, not passive. It was courageous and it was self-sacrificial, but most of all, it was creative and it was compassionate. It never failed to see the image of God in an enemy, never failed to try to remind them of their humanity as well as his own, even while he was being crucified. In the kingdom of God, he showed, both sides have to win because both sides can remember their own humanity. He refused to accept that we were dependent on violence to bring about peace because the peace it brought was always so flimsy and short-lasting. Walter Wink also wrote, The greatest obstacle to nonviolence is this, the belief that we cannot change because we are dependent on what is wrong. But that is the addict's excuse. So soldier, what if Jesus was pointing out that we are addicted to this way of thinking about the world, of getting what we want through domination and through violence, and then showed us how to break that addiction? And once I saw this in Jesus, I started seeing it all over the Bible. It seemed like true peace and reconciliation is the telos, the end goal God always had in mind. And God implanted that contagious image in the imagination of all the prophets. They beat their swords into plowshares, Isaiah wrote, and their spears into pruning hooks. One nation will not raise a sword against another, and never will they train for war. O house of Leah and Rachel and Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of Yahweh. And then there was John of Patmos and his revelation who described a city with balm to heal the nations, a city whose gates never had to be closed against an enemy. Soldier, these things changed the code of my imagination. They challenged the rules by which I thought the world had to work for what was possible or practical or even desirable. And this new imagination attracted me to voices like Shane Claiborne, who has consistently had a real knack for making my life complicated. Claiborne once wrote, If we believe terrorists are past redemption, then we should rip up half the New Testament because it was written by one. 
And then somewhere else he wrote, the Christian icon is not the stars and stripes, but a cross flag. And its emblem is not a donkey, an elephant, or an eagle, but a slaughtered lamb. And soldier, that brings me back to the problem. To someone who marches under the banner of a slaughtered lamb. What does it mean for me to be an American? What does it mean for me to remember Memorial Day? How can I bring myself to celebrate you as a hero soldier, knowing that you died perpetuating the cycle of violence our God died trying to stop? How can I remember you when your memory just reminds me that the freedoms I enjoy every day were bought by a violent conflict that took your life and asked you to take life as well? You see why I'm tempted to just say nothing, right? Why I'm tempted to ignore it and talk about something else until it's Tuesday and things are back to normal. There's this huge church I used to drive by on my way to work every day. And on patriotic holidays, it would, it, would, it would surround itself with this perimeter of flags. I'm talking about an insane number of flags. Big flags. And every time I'd pass, I'd remember how straightforward it used to be for me. How complicated things had gotten. And I just wanted to bust in and say, what are you all doing? How are you not as conflicted about this as I am? We all gather under the same cross. But all I ever did was just shake my head and keep driving. One day I was waiting for a table at a restaurant. And a man walked past me wearing a black veteran's hat. And as he passed, a woman called out near me, Thank you for your service. And soldier, in a moment of honesty with myself... I realized how angry that made me. I was surprised. But it made me angry at him, angry at her, angry at you. Because by God, I don't want to thank you. I don't want you to have had to die like this. I didn't ask for your service. I resent this position I'm in, enjoying an historically unprecedented kind of liberty at the cost of lives, your life, their lives. I don't want this. But you, beloved child of God, are dead. And you died in the service of this social construct that I actively participate in, that I benefit from every day. So what am I supposed to say? Soldier, if I can't say thank you for your service, and I dare not say your sacrifice was in vain, then what do I say? And soldier, in that silence, from the place where I hear the Spirit speak, I heard the answer. I'm sorry. My brother, my sister in Christ, fallen servant of the United States and beloved child of God, what I want to say is this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you were killed by a system that asked you to take lives and give your own. I'm sorry for the role I've played in keeping a world spinning that asked you for that kind of service that thinks it depends on it. 
I'm sorry you were born into a system that thinks it can only achieve peace by dehumanizing political enemies and dominating them. I'm sorry that the people of God, I'm sorry that I have not been courageous enough, committed enough, or creative enough to not accept violence as an answer. I'm sorry we have not been dedicated enough to the difficult and dangerous work of peacemaking, a work that calls for the same level of courage and sacrifice you were willing to give, because maybe if we had, then your grave would be empty right now. Maybe if we had, then you and I would be co-workers, co-creators of a world of true liberty. Maybe. Maybe Memorial Day should be on the church calendar. Maybe it should be part of the liturgical year where we remember, where the people of God remember what's at stake in our own work of peacemaking, where we remember the cost of not taking seriously our vocation of Christlikeness. Maybe for the church, Memorial Day should be a day of deep remembrance and honest grief. Maybe it should be a day of confession, of remembering the necessity and urgency of our humanizing, reconciling, sacrificial, and often dangerous gospel work. Soldier, I pray that I would become so steeped in the spirit of Christ that I would be willing to sacrifice as much as you have for the cause of lasting peace and liberty. Soldier, today, on the Sunday before Memorial Day, I am going to grieve you. I am going to remember my loyalty to the kingdom of God. I am going to mourn the loss of your life at the hands of violence and war. And by God, I'm going to remember the urgency of my own sacred, nonviolent fight for peace in this world. Thank you, soldier. And I hope this does your memory justice. Sincerely, a follower of Christ in the United States. Would you join me in the work of confession? God of every nation, on every side of every conflict, We confess that we have too often accepted freedoms purchased by violence while neglecting the work that challenges violence. Grant us a spirit of courage, the same spirit that moved Jesus that we might be willing to give our lives for the cause of peace, but never willing to take a life for that cause. May we always remember our ultimate allegiance to the kingdom of God under the banner of the slaughtered land. Amen. Amen.